0: Context matters. Matters a lot. It's why we can expect Carson Wentz to improve his statistics across the board from 2019 to 2020. Why? Because Wentz became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for more than 4,000 yards without a single wide receiver, eclipsing 500 receiving yards last season. Alshon Jeffrey didn't get there. We know Deshaun Jackson didn't. He only played in one and a half games. Nelson Aguilar, no way. J.J. (laughs) Arcega-Whiteside, as if Greg Ward had a chance, didn't get there. Carson Wentz had neither healthy nor competent wide receivers on the roster last year. A converted college quarterback and AAF star Greg Ward was the number one wide receiver in the second half last season. Let that sink in. So you shouldn't be surprised when Carson Wentz underperforms his ADP in 2019. That happened. But that doesn't necessarily mean he won't outperform his ADP this season if his receivers cooperate. If his receivers cooperate. And that's a big if. I think they will. Because it can't get any worse. It's just that Alshon Jeffrey is unlikely to contribute significantly to this offense. Of the receivers that Carson Wentz will be relying on this year, I don't think Alshon Jeffrey is one of those guys. His average target depth last season was 11.8 outside the top 40. So he was not getting downfield. He was not generating any target separation. 1.3 yards of target separation, ranked 87th in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, what? His catch rate was under 60%. Yards after the catch, 1.5 per target. So he was a catch and fall down wide receiver that was not able to get downfield and not able to squeeze the football, especially in contested situations. 13% contested catch rate. What is that? Is that a typo on playerprofiler.com? No, that's real. The contested catch rate on 15 targets last season 13.3% for Alshon Jeffrey on player profiler. You add up all those metrics, that's why his yards per target was outside the top 80. And these stats were accumulated before his most severe injury, the midfoot sprain, which required a Liz Frank procedure in the offseason. The Liz Frank procedure is a career ender for young players. Now make it a 30 year old. So he was awful before the foot sprain before the ankle sprain that cost him two games and the foot sprain that cost him four games. He was bad even before that. So you take a player who's already dust, how can you expect him to come back from two significant lower body injuries the following year at age 30? It's just not realistic. One of the big reasons why the age-adjusted production curve declines dramatically at age 30 for wide receivers is because wide receivers like Dwayne Bow, like Alshon Jeffrey are flushed out of the league at age 30, offsetting the continued production of a Julio Jones, of a Julian Edelman, of a Larry Fitzgerald. It's the presence of the Alshon Jeffries which drags down the age-adjusted production curve for the wide receiver position. It's not Larry Fitzgerald. So if not Larry who, the answer is Alshon Jeffrey, And it may also be Deshaun Jackson this year as well, but Deshaun Jackson's injuries are less concerning because they're in the upper body, shoulder strain, abdominal strain, and Deshaun Jackson can lose explosiveness and still be effective, can still create separation because his starting point is one of the fastest, most explosive wide receivers in the league. He may not be that, but neither was Steve Smith at age 36, and he was still an effective wide receiver in the NFL. So I think there's a much higher probability that Deshaun Jackson is a playmaker for Carson Wentz this season than Alshon Jeffrey. And if Wentz has Deshaun Jackson and he has Jalen Rager, and Jalen Rager is able to internalize the playbook and execute an outside wide receiver route inventory for the Eagles this year, that's a massive upgrade for Carson Wentz because now he has Miles Sanders in the backfield instead of Jordan Howard. So the running back is a threat to beat opposing linebackers in the passing game on any given down and distance. Wentz has the best tight end tandem in the league in Zach Ertz and the sucker-punched Dallas Goddard. And with Jackson and Rager on the field, you can expect Carson Wentz to be a top-five quarterback in the league. Three years ago, Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate before he tore his ACL. And it's worth reiterating that he is the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for over 4,000 yards without a wide receiver eclipsing 500 receiving yards. Like that That's like the answer to a riddle. It's so unbelievable. But Carson Wentz has accomplished impressive feats in each of the last three seasons. He went over 4,000 yards last year. He posted a 70% completion percentage in 11 games the year prior. And the year before that, he threw 33 touchdown passes. One of these seasons, he's going to put it all together. The high completion percentage going over 4,000 yards and over 30 touchdowns. Why not this season? Why not? Why not? Because he's also mobile. He ran the ball 62 times last season, four times per game, 13 times in the red zone, but only one touchdown as a runner. With 62 carries and 13 red zone carries, he could have easily posted five touchdowns last season. So we see some positive mean reversion in the rushing touchdown department with an improved supporting cast delivering an improved contested catch conversion rate and more yards after the catch than... The case for Carson Wentz as a top five quarterback this year is straightforward. And I will admit that it's taken me a minute to figure this out. Because the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. And instead of processing this Jalen Hurts draft pick in a larger context, I instead ran out of my house, soaked in confirmation bias, screaming, aha, aha, I told you so, I told you so, Carson Wentz isn't good, Carson Wentz isn't good. This Jalen Hurts draft pick Proves my prior assumptions. This Jalen Hurts draft pick helps confirm my position from five years ago when Carson Wentz was drafted number two overall out of North Dakota State. That he's overrated. It's quintessential take lock by the Podfather, and I am on a quest to eviscerate all take lock from my player analysis repertoire. And doing that requires that I analyze Carson Wentz fairly and with proper context. And given all that, there's a real chance he's a top three quarterback this season. And the aha moment came as I perused our world-famous draft kit. Like I eat at my own restaurant. I do my player analysis on playerprofiler.com. But the light came on with Carson Wentz as I studied the Philadelphia Eagles team preview. That's when it all clicked into place. Then I go from the Philadelphia Eagles to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I see that Juju Smith-Schuster is essentially the Carson Wentz of wide receivers. Because Juju Smith-Schuster's 2019 season was derailed by all the external forces working against him. Juju Smith-Schuster's entire situation conspired against him last season. Just as Carson Wentz's situation betrayed him. But rather than being betrayed by his wide receivers, Juju was betrayed by his quarterback or quarterbacks. For the majority of last season, Juju Smith-Schuster was neither healthy nor accurately targeted. Ben Roethlisberger went down early and never returned. He was replaced by a racist and a duck. Because when it comes to Mason Rudolph, I believe Miles Garrett. And when it comes to Delvin Hodges, I call him by his apropos nickname, Duck. (laughs) So Juju Smith-Schuster is being drafted in the late first, early second round last year. So rather than just allowing last year's production to dictate this year's draft position, it's important that we zoom out. Not only was Juju Smith-Schuster betrayed by quarterback play, his health did not cooperate either. He started off week one spraining his toe. He was on the injury report with a sprained toe for three weeks. Then he suffered a concussion. Then he was out for four weeks with a medium severity knee sprain. That's not good. Even before losing Ben Roethlisberger, he lost his health status by spraining his toe. So he was facing inefficient quarterbacks at less than 100% health. That's the prism through which to perceive Juju Smith-Schuster's 2019 season. That's the context you need to ensure that you're not allowing a single season of underwhelming production To throttle a player's 2020 production, which should be epic when the proper context is applied. Juju Smith-Schuster put up 724 receiving yards as a 17-year-old freshman at USC. Then he posted over 1,400 yards with 10 touchdowns as an 18-year-old sophomore. One of the most impressive sophomore seasons in college football history. And then what did Juju Smith-Schuster do? He came to the NFL. Where he nearly cracked 1,000 receiving yards in 14 games as a rookie, and then by the end of year two, only Randy Moss and Josh Gordon had recorded more receiving yards before age 23. So he is one of the most productive young receivers in NFL history. His talent is not up for debate. He's a no-doubter. And when a no-doubter falls to the late fourth round of a fantasy draft, you just push the button. You just, you just hit the draft player button every time. So I'm giving you all the treatments you need. I'm inoculating you to take lock, appreciating Carson Wentz for the first time, and remembering how good Juju Smith-Schuster is. No question on which Steelers receiver to draft. Who's the best value? Is it Deontay Johnson? Is it James Washington? <laughs> Forget the ancillary receivers in Pittsburgh. All signs point to Juju Smith-Schuster being the target hog. I don't need to worry about Deontay Johnson versus James Washington in best ball leagues. I already have Juju Smith-Schuster. First three weeks of the season, they have the Giants, they have the Texans, and the Eagles on the schedule. (laughs) Oh, baby. And I've always known Juju Smith-Schuster. was great. But the world-famous draft kit Steelers Team Insights helped reintroduce me to Juju Smith-Schuster's greatness. But just as proper context helps create a new level of appreciation for players, elevating them up draft boards. Context can also depress a player's projection for 2020. And that's the case with Raheem Mostert. What is the primary driver behind Raheem Mostert's ADP? Oh, you guessed it. Oh, you guessed it. Coach-centric analysis. Worshipping the coach. no. Oh, the San Francisco 49ers had one of the most efficient running games in the league last year. Did they? Did they? That's not actually true. Football Outsiders tracks running game efficiency, and the San Francisco 49ers had a negative rush DVOA last year, finishing outside the top 10. So... What we'll about lead back Tevin Coleman, negative 8.6 production premium outside the top 45 running backs last year. Now compare that to the Ravens. They actually did have an efficient running game last year, plus 21.5 rush DVOA was number one in the league, and Mark Ingram posted a plus 19.8 production premium, which was top 20 among qualified NFL running backs. So that's what an efficient running game looks like. It's not San Francisco, it's Baltimore. But the 49ers did post... Over 2,300 rushing yards last year. Yes, based on counting stats, the 49ers had an impressive running game. But those rushing yards were game flow driven, not system driven. 49ers enjoyed a plus 4.13 average game script last season. Meaning at any given point in any given game, they were up by more than a field goal. Why? The defense, the offensive line, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo posted a top three true completion percentage. Defense finished top five, in football outsiders' defense adjusted value over average. Defense DVOA. How do you think the 49ers were able to run the ball more than they passed it last year? Is it because the running game was so efficient? No, it wasn't efficient. It was the game script. They were milking clock in the second half. That's how the run-to-pass ratio skewed so heavily. It was different in Baltimore where the running game was actually efficient. Not the case in San Francisco. Raheem Mostert benefited from an 89.8 run-blocking efficiency rating, which was top six among qualified NFL running backs last year, as well as the efficiency of Jimmy Garoppolo in the passing game and the defense. And it makes sense. How else do you think a journeyman, 27-year-old running back with a zero percentile BMI can post three top 12 running back weeks In the month of December. Like, how do you think that's possible? The key component was not Raheem Mostert's talent. It was the situation that he found himself in. That's why context matters. And context illuminates a player's true quality. The fact that Carson Wentz can throw for 4,000 yards with dust ball and AAF wide receivers is impressive. And when you flip that coin over and you look at Raheem Mostert, you think... "Eh." His 2019 season was a lot less impressive than most other running backs. You think about the 49ers heading into this season, Joe Staley retired, so even with the addition of Trent Williams, the offensive line can't be as effective this season. DeForest Buckner is now in Indianapolis, so the defense can't be as effective this season, and Jimmy Garoppolo has lost Emmanuel Sanders and now Debo Samuel to a broken foot, so Jimmy Garoppolo can't possibly be as effective. So let me get this straight. The offense won't be nearly as effective. The defense won't be as effective. What will the game script be? I don't know. I don't know how the game will flow. This could be a pass-oriented team. Defensive efficiency in particular is fleeting. It can flip from one year to the next. Just like that. Just like that it can flip. So be careful drafting these situation-based players. Especially in the fourth round when... Truly elite playmakers are available, like a Juju Smith-Schuster. Why would you select a Raheem Mostert or a Calvin Ridley? Well, I'm here to tell you you shouldn't. Based on what I'm reading in these team previews in Player Profiler's world-famous, in quotes, draft kit. It's all there. Why Wentz is a buy, Juju's a buy, and Mostert is a fade. I mean, even if I didn't lay this case against Mostert out, were we really drafting Mostert? Really? I mean, really? I mean... A 28-year-old with one month of significant production in the regular season on his resume in the fourth round? Really? 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 I mean, no way. No way. I give this audience a lot of credit. I give this audience credit for knowing Raheem Mostert was a stay away even before this show dropped. This is the best audience in all of fantasy football, and it's not even close. And there's a subset of this audience that is active on Patreon. That is easily, by far and away, the best cohort of fantasy gamers in the industry. I am sure of it. Because I'm about to talk to Peter Overzet today. And Peter Overzet has a lot going on. He is a fantasy football renaissance man. And the patrons sent me a number of questions to ask Peter Overzet. I'm going to be doing this every week. Soliciting questions from the producers of this show on Patreon. We'll be talking to Sean Corner. From the Action Network. Just send me the question on Patreon and I will ask it. It's really that easy. And if you're not on Patreon, you don't deserve this show. I know it's technically free. Congratulations. But you know deep down, it takes a lot of time and effort to produce these shows. And if you're not on Patreon and you don't feel even a tinge of guilt, I question your humanity. Because who could possibly soak up all the value that this podcast provides and never offer any value back in return with a patron contribution? I just don't understand how it's possible. If you are that person, if you look in the mirror and you see that person, I would question everything if I were you. So go there now, patreon.com forward slash podfather. Sign up to ask me questions. I can't remember the last fantasy team question posted on... On the community tab on Patreon that I didn't respond to. And other like-minded individuals in the community also provide feedback. On both the Patreon platform and we have a Discord channel. And Patronhood also gets you gear. Roto Underworld hoodie, t-shirt, breakout finder hat. We fill you up with information and gear you up with fresh threads, as the kids say. And then on top of that, we drop an additional show in your feed. We do an additional show every week. These backstage pass shows average 40 minutes a week. And we have one, two, three, four. Five. I lost track of how many patron dynasty leagues I'm in. And mock drafts. Sean Washko is hosting dynasty startup mocks every other week for patrons. It's just, it's just, there's so much. So even if you don't feel guilty, which you should, consuming this show for free for all these weeks, months, and years, going to patreon.com forward slash podfather is in and of itself just a great value proposition. It's a good value. I don't know if it's as good of a value as the free draft kit for Monkey Knife Fight, though. Because the arrangement we now have with Monkey Knife Fight not only provides a free draft kit, but also a free NFL ticket for week one. <laughs> right? I mean, we're doing so much! It hurts! It hurts! Knowing so many of you only pretend to care about the Father and this enterprise. So when you deposit $10 on Monkey Knife Fight, you not only get a free draft kit, you get a free game when the NFL season starts. In addition to that $10 of fantasy gaming that the deposit provides. Yeah, yeah. Fantasy-draftkit.com. Fantasy-draftkit.com. Hold hands with me. You could read this draft kit along with me and we get enlightened together. Let's do it. Let's go. And let's talk to Peter Overzet, shall we? I love this man. You can find him on TikTok, but most people know him at Peter over Zett on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld radio program. An old friend. Yes, an old friend. Very old friend of the show. Yes, yes. One of the funniest men in the industry and one of the hardest working best podcasters. He has... The most best failed podcasts in all of fantasy football. <laughs> He's one of the swole cast for horsemen right now over at Roto Grinders. And he launched a new show called The Randomizer. And I was on that show very recently. It was excellent. Peter Overzet, talk to me. You know
1: what I love about you, Matt, is it's impossible for you to give a compliment without just a little backhand in there, just a little bit. You couldn't just give the full compliment, the most failed podcast, successful failed podcast. Thank you for that, Matt. I appreciate it.
0: The most best failed podcast. That's great. I think that's an accomplishment no one else has. You have that crown and you wear it with pride and confidence that no one will take it.
1: Well, see, this is why you were smart with podcasting, because, you know, you you make your show sheet, you turn on the mic, and then you just see where it goes. See, I was doing these highly produced podcasts with bits and sketches and hundreds of interviews and music and transitions, and uh, unless you're getting paid six figures a year to do that, uh, it's not a sustainable format.
0: Oh, they were so good. So good. The FF Comedy Hour holds up. Go check it out on iTunes and Fantasyland, Fantasyland Show a rotoviz joint that holds up 100 out of 100 today all those episodes hold up it's been years they still hold up so you were a comedian the ff comedy Hour. does being a former comedian help or hurt you as a fantasy football analyst
1: what if i reject to this entire premise on multiple levels
0: well you're not a fantasy football analyst and you're a current comedian
1: I, I think that that would be my objection. I actually don't like the word comedian.
0: Current comedian and faux fantasy analyst.
1: When was one piece of fantasy analyst that I've ever done? You, I did a blurb for your draft guide. Was there any actual analysis in there? I guess I did post some stuff about his, you know, metrics.
0: Albert Akui Boonum?
1: That's the man.
0: I first started pronouncing it correctly after hearing you pronounce it correctly. Yeah. Can you spell it? No. You can spell it because the the bit you did on Albert Akui Bunim for our world-famous, in quotes, draft kit, fantasy com was a spelling bee bit. It was the best bit of analysis we have on Akui Bunim and it included nothing about him scoring fantasy points. <laughs> it didn't matter. It didn't matter. We need more. We need more Peter Overzets in the fantasy football space, not less. There are too many self-serious fantasy analysts. It has been a perpetual lament of mine since this podcast began. For five years, I've been complaining about the self-seriousness in this industry. And then we see the ultimate manifestation arrive in the form of the counselor. The counselor, Joseph Roberts, is both self-serious and terrible at fantasy football. He's quite the gift, isn't he?
1: First off, incredible segue. Uh, you you nailed that perfectly. And yes, the Joseph Roberts is, um, you know, I like to post his clips from Instagram on Twitter because a lot of people on fantasy Twitter aren't on Instagram. And he is just someone that I want to continue giving exposure to. I think people need to know about the counselor. And I think he's um, a shining beacon in our industry. And like you said, um, a much needed voice.
0: That's right. There's an analytical arms race in fantasy football. More numbers, more modeling. And Joseph Robert has said, no, 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 no. You guys, you guys are missing the point here. It's not about more numbers and more stats and more analytics. No, 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 no. You need less. The people want less. They're tired of all your numbers. They're tired of all your geek speak. The people want. Feel based fantasy analysis. It doesn't have to be good. In fact, it can be the worst analysis that's out there. And what I saw of Joseph Roberts' analysis last year was the stone worst. I mean, going all in on David Johnson while fading Christian McCaffrey and insisting you boost David Montgomery up your rankings. I mean, it was just comical how. Poorly things played out for the counselor last year, and it doesn't matter. Like, he's proving, like, we need him as this shining beacon to prove that it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter how accurate your projections are, Mike Clay. No one fucking cares. Just spritz yourself, get your biceps popping, throw up the selfie stick, and fucking let's go! And let's just talk football and just talk about how we feel about it. More guts, less numbers.
1: This sounds like the monologue you give yourself in the mirror every morning before you wake up.
0: (laughs) This is it. It's like a motivational speaker that's running a pyramid scheme. It's so perfect. When he surfaced, my first thought was, oh, this is not going to end well. And then you realize, oh, no, he's coming after Matthew Barry on just pure tenacity. Pure tenacity. That's all it takes. If you have a work ethic and you're willing to respond to every single commenter in your mentions and you maximize engagement at a level that no one can compete with, you're going to eventually surpass every single stats and analytics driven analyst in all of fantasy football. It's just a matter of time. This guy is a lion in our industry for all the wrong reasons.
1: There we go. And all the doubters are sheep. But here's the thing. People get so tilted about the counselor in his success, and they say his analysis is bad, blah, blah, blah. You're asking the wrong questions. Ask, why is he actually succeeding? Oh, is it the consistency of posting? Is it the hotness of the takes? Is it engaging with his fans over and over in a relentless manner? You sheep are asking the wrong questions. That's right. The counselor is beating you at your own game. You are doing threads of gifts, trying
0: to back it up with stats. No one cares. The counselor is crushing you. The counselor spends 15 minutes on a selfie video. You spend four hours working on a model that 300 people will see and three people will open. (laughs) You're doing it wrong. He's doing it right. And you just have to eat it. You just have to eat it, nerds.
1: He's the future, man. It's the lion's world. We just all live on it. And you can either get on board... You can get eaten. That's kind of what I tell myself every morning.
0: You can learn more from the counselor on social media than you can 10 PFF guys for all the reasons you laid out. The roadmap to success is there. Now, if like myself, you also like to be accurate and good at your job, then that's another level. Then you can aspire to the podfathers level. That's cool too. That's cool too. But it just as a baseline, start with what the counselor's doing. And close your spreadsheet. It sounds crazy. Like, I can't believe he's getting... No, this is serious advice. This is serious advice from the Podfather. If you aspire to success in this business, the counselor is working much smarter and more efficiently than any of the quants in this space. And they know it. Deep down inside, the quants know it. And it's why your posts are so heavily engaged because... They are hate watching him. The quants hate watch him. Well,
1: because they're jealous of his success. They see why, how can he be this successful and what I'm doing
0: isn't successful. They're just watching and shaking their head going, how is this possible? How is this possible? This is the world. A, most people are not intelligent. And B, don't care what intelligent people have to say. And C, in particular, don't want to be talked down to. Have not we learned that in the last four years? what the counselor is tapping into. How hard is that? How hard is it? Yes, you could print out spreadsheets and drop them off your ivory tower and watch them flutter to the ground and no one picked them up. Great. Congratulations. You have no reach. My favorite counselorism, by the way, is sheeple. Oh, it's good. Because it's so rich with irony that it makes me smile every time. Because The sheeple are actually his followers drafting David Johnson over Christian McCaffrey and over drafting David Montgomery. Like, those are the sheeple, but he's he's calling everyone but his followers sheep. It's just so perfect. It's so perfect. He's perfect.
1: It sounds like you're, are you tilting, Matt? It sounds like you're tilting a little bit. He makes anyone that's good at this tilt. My favorite uh, fantasy counselorism is actually uh, copy and paste rankings. That is how he goes after the mainstream fantasy analysts. He says they copy and paste their rankings from last year. That's why he's so upset about Christian McCaffrey being the 101. Because he says people are just looking at the box score and copying and pasting him. And I agree because, I mean, Lions don't concern themselves with the opinions of sheep.
0: He's great. If you roll your eyes at him and don't appreciate him then you're missing a bigger picture and you're probably not going to be successful in this business. Does he like Leonard Fournette this year? Tell me he does. Tell me he does. He does.
1: You want to know why I know he likes Leonard Fournette? Because I bought his 16 round draft kit, Matt. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, reputable fantasy sites that would probably be heartbroken knowing I'm not buying any of their products, but I bought the counselor 16
0: round draft kit. Actually, if he's bullish on Leonard Fournette, I'm fucked. What about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Tell me he likes Clyde Edwards-Hilaire.
1: So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a very unique use case for the counselor's methodology because he historically loves rookies, but he also hates timeshares. Like any kind of perceived backfield competition, like when Seattle signs Carlos Hyde, he just loses his mind. So this one has really tied him in a knot, but he still does like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the second round. So I think he's pro CEH. Thank God.
0: Thank God, please, (laughs) please. You had him on your show. I did. You DM with him. Are you friends? I haven't met him in real
1: life. I do DM with him regularly. The big one recently was I brokered between him and Scott Fish, getting him in the Scott Fish Bowl, which he will be participating in. Well, he wasn't in the Scott Fish Bowl. (laughs) He didn't even know what it was. I had to spend an entire afternoon on Instagram describing it to him.
0: (laughs) There is this alternate universe of people out there. And we in our ivory towers absolutely cannot see the forest for the trees. He is in the trees. He is in the forest with the people. Most people don't know what the fucking Scott Fishbowl is and they don't care.
1: The devastating thing is, is I put in all this work trying to get the counselor thinking I, Scott, would put him in my division. The problem was the counselor specifically requested to be in a league with either Matthew Barry or the fantasy footballers because he wanted to, quote unquote, wipe the floor with them. So now he's not even in my own division. So I brokered this, and now he's in a division with the fantasy footballers, and I'm just here left
0: holding the bag. He's going to wipe the floor. <laughs> please, please let him win that division. Please, please, please. If there is a god of some kind, some power source in the universe that can control outcomes, please allow the counselor to destroy the fantasy footballers in the Fish Bowl. I'm going to be following that division closer than my own division.
1: Yeah. But Matt, there is something with this whole fantasy football counselor thing, um, a hard truth that you might not like hearing. Do you Do you want me to tell you? There are two people in the industry right now that I know are very vocally pushing for robust running back starts to drafts. Yes. One is Fantasy Mansion. Yes. And the other is the fantasy football counselor.
0: Yeah. Yep. That is terrific news.
1: First five rounds, hammer running backs. I hear it from Matt Kelly and I hear it from Joseph Roberts.
0: Oh, it's going to be the podfather versus the counselor in the finals of the Scott Fish Bowl this year. I am pumped. I got to start lifting weights. I got to start working on my curl game, man. I got to pop these biceps out. I am going to hang with the counselor in the finals of the Scott Fish Bowl. It's exciting.
1: You have a home gym in your garage because that's part of the transformation.
0: I have the Bowflex dumbbell set where you can adjust the weights in my basement. There you go. Dude, I have a real setup down there. It's, it's quite something. Do you have a whole TikTok studio that you've created in your house? <laughs> no. Because I see you're on TikTok a lot. No one's watching, but you're on there a lot.
1: <laughs> I am. I am on, you know, everyone said, you know what, Peter, the best platform for organic growth in 2020 is TikTok. Yeah. And you know what I said? Hold my beer, guys. Hold my beer. Because, uh, yeah, I haven't found much organic growth on TikTok.
0: Why? What's happening? I've seen other fantasy analysts that don't have the same comedic chops as Peter Overzet go viral on TikTok. Why can't you go viral, dude? Uh, we talked about bubbles earlier.
1: Um... The fact that I make very inside baseball fantasy Twitter and DFS references and jokes on TikTok, that might be the issue.
0: Right. You're not broad enough. You need more shtick. You need more gags. Mm, I do. Have you tried falling off a roof or tripping and falling? Yeah,
1: I need to get into kind of pratfalls and more physical comedy, I think would help. I think if I If I got in better shape and took my shirt off, uh, that would help. Also, if I just got better looking,
0: that would also help. There's a lot of things I'm considering for virality. I heard Chevy Chase took so many pratfalls in the 80s. (laughs) It ruined his body.
1: Yeah, it would have appeared to have uh, ruined his brain, too, if you ever catch an interview with him these days.
0: Jerry Judy would never fall down. (laughs) Segway King. He, he He has the best footwork in sports. That's I'm convinced. I'm if you seen this Jerry Judy footwork video,
1: I see every, every off season workout video, Matt, how can you miss them?
0: You need to adjust your ranks. They've been
1: adjusted constantly. When people like I'm, I'm going to turn the tables on you, I'm gonna ask you a question when people seriously share these and say like, he's going to have a big year. Are they doing a bit? Or are they legitimately changing (laughs) their outlook on a player based on a four-second, out-of-context workout video in no pads on a random park? They can't. I'm asking for myself.
0: They can't. They can't possibly change their rankings based on Mike Gusecki throwing a football (laughs) over a condo, running through the garage, and then catching his own pass. You can't possibly consider changing your rankings based on that video. The counselor might, but you need evidence-based rankings if you actually want accuracy, and that's not the way to go. And in Dynasty, the footwork is the great red herring analysis, right? Have you ever drafted a guy in Dynasty in a rookie draft because you knew he had great feet? You know,
1: uh, considering I, this is not a bit, Matt, like people talk about, hey, I'm not a big film watcher. There are many guys on my fantasy team recently drafted in rookie drafts that I've never seen a second of them playing football. I even mean a highlight. I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. That's great. This is honest. I have so much LaVisca Chanel. I love this dude. I have never once seen him play football in my entire life.
0: He's going to be a problem.
1: I'm excited about him.
0: Demarius Thomas with redlocks. That's what he looks like. <laughs> That's what he looks like to me.
1: You ever, uh, you ever heard of the site Player Profiler? Do you see what his uh, comp, his best comp was?
0: It's probably AJ Brown if I had to guess. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh! Turns out I know that site very well. Makes a lot of sense, man. He's 6'1", 227. He looks like a running back. That was the criticism of A.J. Brown last year. Remember that? He looks like a running back. He's too thick with two Cs. Ryan Tannehill throwing passes, run first offense. Ah. Yeah, he's now being drafted in the top 15 players in dynasty startups.
1: Worked out pretty well. Labiska Chennault, I mean, easily mid-early second round, I guess, in competitive leagues.
0: Oh, no, late second round. LaVisca Chennault looks like a running back. He's compared by many to Cordell Patterson because of the dreadlocks and the all-purpose skill set, but he was a much better receiver than Cordell Patterson ever was, ran the four-five-eight at the Combine. He had a pubic irritation of some kind, which prevented him from running fast. It makes sense. That's intuitive. So he's a black box prospect athletically. He took a major step back last year, going from 1,000 yards to 750 yards in his junior season. And then he goes to Jacksonville, a team that rarely visits the red zone, and he'll never surpass DJ Chark. So you have a lot of people out on LaVisca Chenault. You can get him in the late second round of rookie drafts. Whereas if he had been healthy at the Combine and had melted faces of the scouts, he goes in the late first round, to a better team, then he's a late first round pick in Dynasty rookie drafts. That's the guy you want. The guy that goes from being a late first to a late second round pick for all the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah. And the similar thing happened with Brandon Ayuk, and now Brandon Ayuk drafters on paper gains. What if we if we redraft rookie drafts now after the Debo Samuel injury, isn't he going back half of the first round as well?
0: Yeah, he's going back half of the first round. He might go ahead of Jalen Rager, which would be a mistake. He would go ahead of Henry Ruggs. He might even go ahead of Justin Jefferson. Mistake, mistake, mistake. He's a junior college transfer who's coming out after four years without impressive athleticism and who didn't dominate until Nikhil Harry left Arizona State. So I like him this year, drafting him in seasonal league, certainly, but not necessarily targeting him in Dynasty. And that was before the injury to Samuel. Now it's over. Can't get this guy. I don't know if you heard, though, but
1: the the 49ers had him as their number one wide receiver oh.
0: on their board over CeeDee Lamb. Over CeeDee Lamb, yes. Over CeeDee Lamb. Oh, yeah. Can you believe the Falcons passed on CeeDee Lamb with a 31-year-old Julio Jones entering the twilight of his career? You pass on CeeDee Lamb. Thomas Dimitrov is going to look back on that draft 10 years from now, look back, and slap his forehead. Fucked up, fucked up. If I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, I'm still furious.
1: Well, I think the issue here is Dimitrioff and the dynasty community is a lot higher on Calvin Ridley than you are probably.
0: Oh no. Oh yeah. Oh no. Are you high on Calvin Ridley?
1: I've heard your slander.
0: You're high on Calvin Ridley? You like him?
1: I do like him, but I am legit getting spooked at his price. I think Silva has him as like a top 12 wide receiver. The, the ADP is going through the roof these days. I, I, I do have pause now.
0: What about the counselor? Does he like Calvin Ridley?
1: Ooh, let me pull up the draft kit. We'll do a control find here. Whoa, yeah, he has him in a round four there with A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Cortland Sutton. So, yeah, he uh, he likes Ridley.
0: The counselor likes Ridley, and Evan Silva
1: likes Ridley.
0: <laughs> oh, no! No! Uh, Silva. Uh, <laughs> Silva and the counselor are in the Calvin Ridley Venn Diagram Center, and... The Podfather and the Counselor are in the center of the Leonard Fournette Venn diagram. That's bad news for Evan and I. Awful news. Awful news for our accuracy. Great news for our engagement. Here's
1: my question for you about Ridley, because a big selling point on Ridley was for this year was Austin Hooper leaving. Because his splits without Hooper were pretty damn good, the amount of targets he was commanding. Is Hayden Hurst going to just slide right in and command the same amount of targets that Hooper did, or is it going to be less and Ridley is going to get those
0: overflow targets? Why would those splits mean a goddamn thing if Hayden Hurst is now being selected before Austin Hooper in fantasy drafts? It would be one thing if Austin Hooper were George Kittle. Okay, right? If he weren't some cardboard cutout tight end, where according to fantasy drafters, is 100% dependent on the situation and the quarterback. But no, 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 no. Hurst is now being drafted at least a round before Hooper. So what are we talking about here?
1: So then I think what we are arriving on is if Julio Jones is being properly drafted, Ridley and Hayden Hurst are being overdrafted. Does this mean Galaxy Brain Matt Ryan is being
0: underdrafted? yes. Yes, if anything, the guy, listen in most offenses, there's really one guy to target, right? There's one guy that's a screaming value, and the other players are either somewhat overvalued or somewhat undervalued. You're typically not going to find more than one screaming value in any given team, and the screaming value on Atlanta is Matt Ryan. <laughs> it's not any of the receivers. It's either Matt Ryan or Todd Gurley. Because they've upgraded the offensive line significantly, particularly in the run blocking department. So you have a lot of red zone looks with wide running lanes that he was not afforded last year. All the blame is directed at the lack of explosiveness due to the arthritic knee problem that he's been suffering the last couple of years. But what if his knees are relatively healthy and he just didn't have anywhere to run last year and then he goes to Atlanta. Where they're in the shootout after shootout, always in the red zone with this new revamped and newly healthy offensive line. I'll have more Matt Ryan and more Todd Gurley than I have any of the receivers in Atlanta this year. Yeah. And you're right to be spooked by Ridley and you're right to be spooked by Hayden Hurst. Yeah. Right? These are two situation-based selections only. There's nothing on the Calvin Ridley profile that says, hey, this guy is an alpha. Something happens to Julio Jones. He's a top five receiver in the league. I don't see it. I also don't see Hayden Hurst as a top 10 receiver. I don't see it. I Maybe he is, but I'd like to see something, something, anything going one or two rounds ahead of Austin Hooper, who just did it last year. Seasonal leagues are, by definition, more situation-based because they're seasonal. But come on, man. Come on. Yeah, and I,
1: I hate that entire range of tight ends where Hurst is going. Basically, that like six to ten range when you can just wait a little bit longer. You can get a Gasecki. You can get a Hawkinson.
0: Four to ten. After the big three, I'm out. Four to ten. Yep,
1: I'm with you there. I'm with you there.
0: Just cross them all off. Wait for Gasecki. Wait for Hawkinson. Wait for Gronk. That's it. That's it. One of those guys is going to slip to you because most people have filled up their tight end position. And then you can wait and wait and wait and wait. It's a great position to play chicken on. It's actually better to play chicken on tight end this year than it is quarterback because you will want a Russell Wilson, you will want a Kyler Murray if they slip in around six or seven.
1: Yeah, the the only problem with your the tight end targets is Gronk's ADP. I think is outrageous right now. People are making some massive assumptions about him. Wait, wait, what? Gronk's ADP is outrageous.
0: He's being drafted outside the top 80 players in FFPC drafts, which are tight end premium. He's going outside the top 100 in traditional leagues. What are you talking about? What leagues are you in where he's going too early? I have only seen him go too late.
1: Look at the football guys championships, the 350, all those drafts that are going on now with the high stake volume drafters. He's going in the fifth and sixth round in those. That's absurd.
0: Oh no, really? The super high stakes guys are on it. They're on him. Oh no. Sad trombone, man. We're not going to get Gronk anymore. It's over. Our days of getting Gronk in every league are over, everybody. Sad, sad, dude. Tough scene.
1: Gronk Brady and Keyshawn Vaughn all of those guys are being overdrafted
0: oh Keyshawn Vaughn has jumped the shark are you familiar with Daria Goombawale because that's another difficult to pronounce name but I bet you could nail it
1: uh yeah Dare, uh you mean the Buccaneers uh third down back for all of last season that's still on the team
0: yeah, gonna be playing the James White role tethered to Tom Brady this year. Can you spell Dare Goombawale?
1: Oh my god. Uh my my spelling bee, Bona Fides might be uh exposed right here.
0: Come on!
1: Okay, uh D A R E space O G U N B O W A L. E. Yeah, you did it, buddy! Whoa!
0: Woo! Nice job!
1: He's back!
0: We have a winner!
1: Boom! No one can question my spelling B credentials.
0: What do you think of these manual sound effects? What's crazy is until
1: we did our show the other week, I I thought you were piping those in in post-production. I didn't realize you were doing live sound effects. (laughs)
0: It's so fun to just have these things, like, ready to go. I love it. You need to beef
1: up your slide. You need to have, like, two cymbals so you can just do a clang, you know. You got to really carrot top this.
0: Don't forget about the uh, trusty harmonica. Can't forget that. It's beautiful. You can't forget that.
1: I'm actually surprised for as long as you've been doing your podcast that you don't have uh, an electronic soundboard for for drops.
0: No, I do put them in and post. And it's just it's so easy. I just have this folder. It takes two seconds. Talk to us about Patrick Laird. How did you meet him and convince him to actually give you the time of day? Wow. This is another one of
1: those leading questions where the the premise is that I would be such an undesirable person to be friends with. So I object to your premise.
0: What are you talking about? He's a professional athlete. I'm not friends. I am not able to DM with any professional athletes at this moment. So what you're doing with Patrick Laird is impressive to most of us.
1: See, I just imagine you meeting Calvin Ridley and the first thing you say is, hey, man, I don't hate players, I hate ADPs, and then seeing how that goes over.
0: Oh, yeah, he would love me. (laughs) Yeah, Calvin Ridley and I.
1: Laird, well, all that stuff uh, blew up last year, and then we went to the game, and Davis and I met him afterwards.
0: No, but how did you first connect with him?
1: So I first connected because he started following uh, me on Twitter when he saw that I uh, ate a cake with his name on it live on Periscope, and people kept tagging him, and he was like, what the hell is going on right now?
0: amazing. He followed you. These guys, they want fans. They claim to be bothered by fans. They want fans. They want to be famous.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, Laird, it's not like, you know, if you're Ryan Fitzpatrick or Devonte Parker, you're getting tagged by, you know, players, fantasy guys all the time. Laird's not getting any of that. So when he sees a flurry of activity and he's like, dude, I'm playing like 10 snaps a game. What is going on? I think he was legitimately curious slash terrified of what was happening and why it was happening.
0: Why can't he be good though? I like his profile.
1: That's another just uh, premise that I don't agree with. Um, what? I, th- I think he is.
0: No, 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 no. What I'm saying is when people think of Patrick Laird, they think of fringe guy that doesn't get enough mm. snaps, but he was actually getting a lot of snaps last year. He was just a lot in the passing games. So he wasn't getting all the touches. Right. But the guy was getting five plus targets in at least four games last year.
1: Yeah, yeah. He wasn't uh, super
0: efficient as a runner, but he was
1: uh, he was great out of the backfield.
0: They had no starters on the offensive line. Of course, he's not going to be efficient as a runner.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing that cracks me up is everyone when they, you know, acquire Jordan Howard or they trade for Matt Breida and everyone's like, oh, my condolences,
0: you must be so upset. I'm like, are you kidding? Condolences, Jordan Howard. That's like the great protector of Laird's value in dynasty is a guy like Jordan Howard.
1: And I I see people saying like, well, they brought in two bodies. I was like, no, look at the investment. Look at the cost that they brought in a fifth round pick in a small contract for Jordan Howard, Matt Breida. I love Breida, but he's one of the most brittle guys in the entire league. I mean, when is Jordan Howard ever profiled as a full bell cow back? I I think there's path to him having a dare and wale type role on the
0: Dolphins this year. Of course there is. And he saw the most defenders in the box of any satellite back in the league last year. 6.8 defenders in the box was top 20 in the league for a guy playing on passing downs. That's how little opposing defenses respected the Dolphins passing game. They just stacked it up. And that's why he averaged 2.6 true yards per carry. 2.7 2.7 actual yards per carry. Yards per carry under three, but the run blocking was truly horrific. 47.5 run blocking efficiency grade outside the top 60. I want this guy to get a real opportunity this year, and we just need a Matt Breda injury like those don't happen all the time, like you said. Come on now. Let's go, Patrick. Let's go. If he actually breaks out, even a tepid breakout, it's going to be a big deal for you, man. The thing, the
1: other, the people who like raining on the Laird parade, what they don't realize.
0: Because you guys are legit friends. We are.
1: We are. I have a special phone uh, that I got an iPhone just so I'm on a group thread because Patrick Laird couldn't be bothered to deal with my green bubbles as an Android user. Uh, So I literally have a burner phone that I use to talk with Davis and, and Laird on. For the Laird haters, one thing that is going to kill them is that he is one of their most valuable special teams players. He's their gunner. He is going to consistently have a spot on their team. The player profiler comp oh. for him is Brandon Bolden, Perfect. who is another guy who had a sustained career as a special teams gunners and jumped in and produced when needed as a running back. That's Patrick Laird.
0: Has anyone selected Patrick Laird in one of these randomizer drafts, this randomizer draft show, best ball show that you host?
1: Well, yes, because one of the prompts is you must draft Patrick Laird right now.
0: stop it. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Really? Yep. (laughs) Amazing. Who had the best randomizer draft thus far? So the most recent one I did with Ian
1: Harditz uh, was the best in that we didn't get any landmines. Like we got just seven or eight legit players for the first rounds. I liked ours a lot. But we had to draft a Clemson wide receiver in the third round, and that that was a tough pill to swallow.
0: And an Ivy League player early.
1: And an Ivy League player. Yeah, we had some bad
0: curveballs there. So we took Mike Williams and Justin Watson. Yep. In high-value rounds, that's crippling.
1: And for people who don't know why we had to do this is I have a randomizer with about 100 prompts in there like you must draft a player from an Ivy League school. And when you spin it for that round, like when Matt and I were doing it, you have to fill fulfill that prompt, hence why you end up with Justin Watson on your team in the first five rounds.
0: It was a lot of fun. Check out my Twitter feed at fantasy underscore mansion to watch it. Where do I find the show? So I've been uh, I've now been sending them to my YouTube
1: and Periscope. So if you want to watch live on Friday nights, you can do that on Periscope and YouTube. And then they're archived uh, there as well. Love it.
0: You've been posting these uh, failed TikTok videos on Twitter where you're actually getting some engagement. So congratulations. I did chuckle at the I like this wide receiver in best ball. Super esoteric clip, not nearly broad enough to be successful on TikTok, but certainly a hit on fantasy Twitter. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Please don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't you dare say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Please, please don't say it. Don't say it. I prefer in best ball. It's the most well-worn cliche in all of fantasy football. But are there in reality some wide receivers that you only like in best ball leagues? And if that's true, who?
1: It is definitely one of the biggest crutches. It has a DFS equivalent, right? When they say in a GPP.
0: Yes, in a GPP. Prefer him in a GPP. I will predict this with 100% accuracy. Peter Overzet will produce a failed TikTok video mocking the prefer player X in a GPP DFS cliche in the next two months.
1: Yeah, once uh once DFS football gets rearing again, uh, I'm sure we'll be mixing that in. So it is, it's this weird thing, right? Where it is the the in best ball, it's half an analyst crutch, and then there is half some truth to it. To me, the big tipping point comes down to how many wide receivers can you start in a league? Because say I think the poster boy this offseason right now for in a best ball is Nicole Hardman. Everyone loves all the peripherals. Being attached to Mahomes, that offense, there's some fragility there um, with guys like Sammy Watkins, Tyree Kill. You never know what's going to happen with those guys. So he's the guy everyone's saying in a best ball. But look, Matt, if I am in a league where I can start five or six wide receivers, which those leagues exist, I want to be rolling out Nicole Hardman every week as my wide receiver five or wide receiver six. But yeah, if you're in the FFPC format and you can only start four in a standard league, then yeah, Miko Hardman's probably better for best ball because you don't want to waste him as a stash for all all season long.
0: I couldn't disagree with you more. Good. I don't like Miko Hardman in best ball because the opportunity share and the target share is too uncertain for best ball. Take the most extreme example. The most volatile receiver last year was Andy Isabella. He either gave you 100 yards on two targets or zero. <laughs> so you lean into the volatility in best ball, but that assumes that the player will be getting starter snaps and target share. The problem with McCole Hardman is when Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill and even Demarcus Robinson are playing, his snap share craters. And in best ball, when you don't have access to the waiver wire, you can't string together zeros, especially on players being selected where McCole Hardman is. Whereas in a seasonal league, I can see how it plays out. Maybe he earns a major snap share in the targets that go along with that from Patrick Mahomes, and it's evident in week one, like we saw last year with Terry McLaurin, right? Terry McLaurin ended up being a strong best ball pick, but that was not intuitive, and it wasn't even recommended because you had no idea what the target share distribution was going to be in Washington, especially for a rookie wide receiver drafted in the third round. Right. So I actually believe it made more sense to select McLaurin in seasonal leagues where you can go to the waiver wire if it turns out he's not playing much in week one. Whereas if that's the case with McCole Hardman, in best ball, you're fucked and you're just waiting for an injury that may never happen.
1: Yeah, the thing though uh, that's interesting about those two examples, specifically McColl and Andy Isabella, is those are guys we know one of the biggest inefficiencies still in fantasy football drafts is targeting wide receiver year two breakouts and more so in the case of Meikle Hardman had one of the most efficient seasons on his targets. And yes, there is fragility with if he's going to see that target share, but those are the kind of bets you want to be making, hoping that he does earn that target share just on virtue of him ascending as a year two wide receiver in a great offense.
0: In a seasonal league, you make those bets, you stack those chips up in the back half of your draft. And if they don't hit. In week one, you just flip them for someone more attractive who actually broke out in week one. It's easy. In best ball, you don't have that flexibility. So I'm more likely to draft a Larry Fitzgerald than an Andy Isabella in a best ball league. But in a seasonal league, I actually prefer Isabella because Fitzgerald's not going to help me win a league. So I have no use for him in a seasonal league because it's just a wasted draft pick. I'm eventually going to drop him for someone else anyway. So why even burn an initial roster spot on that guy in best ball leagues. It is nice to stack the quarterback and the wide receiver so you can get Murray and Fitzgerald. That'd be great. Who's your favorite quarterback wide receiver stack?
1: Yeah, I've actually been thinking about this more lately. Uh, Mike Leone had a good article about this uh, the other day on Establish the run about everyone knows about stacking in big best ball tournaments or in DFS. Like we all know that. But his article is about people not stacking enough in even season long leagues. That's right. And so it's something that's been on my mind now more, but it's also tricky to do. So when you think about the best stack, you basically have to think about what quarterbacks do I know I'm going to be able to get at a nice price? Um, it's hard to say like, oh, I'm just going to stack up Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. Like you're going to have to Mm. use a couple premium picks. I think my favorite stack right now, cost adjusted would be getting AJ Brown, say in the late third, early fourth, maybe, and then getting Ryan Tannehill late who continues to be available late
0: because that's the bet on the running game crumbling, which it absolutely could. Jack Conklin is gone. They experienced zero injuries along that offensive line last year. So Derrick Henry was luckier last year than anyone wants to talk about. He's such a force of nature that you don't look at Derrick Henry and go, oh, that guy got lucky based on everything falling into place for him last season. But it did. The game scripts were highly positive because the defense exceeded expectations. The offensive line was as effective as any in the league. If those forces don't align this year... You're going to see more pass attempts for Tannehill, and A.J. Brown could be a top-five wide receiver in fantasy. Yep. It's just a bet against Derrick Henry. In that case, the last player you would want is Derrick Henry if you're going to be stacking the assets in the passing game. And this is a DFS principle. I'm sure you learned this on the Swolecast, right? You're on the Swolecast now.
1: You don't learn anything about DFS on the Swolecast. There's no learning to be done on that show.
0: There's only four regular members of that show, and you're one of them. It's a big deal. Congratulations, man. You took Silva's spot,
1: yeah, I mean, he was kind of dragging down the show <laughs> they were they said he was too high on Calvin Ridley. They wanted to get a more level headed analysis in there, and uh they turned to me,
0: yeah, yeah, do you have a plan to be good at d f s this year? <laughs> You
1: know what? Part of my plan has been playing all these random fringe DFS sports during, you know, quarantine. So I'm actually getting better at the game of DFS. And then hopefully I can apply some of those principles to the NFL, which um, I failed mightily at NFL DFS last year.
0: You can only improve heading into 2020, Peter. It's only up from here. That's true. Yeah. Which of these non football DFS contests did you enjoy the most?
1: It's um it feels wild to say uh but League of Legends okay. DFS uh is very fun to play and it's a legitimately good sweat. Are you at all familiar with with esports and in, in the words I'm saying? Let's test my knowledge of League of
0: Legends here. Okay. I believe it's a fantasy game, something similar to Lord of the Rings where you have a roving band Of specialists you have a magician you have an elf with different powers and different skills and different weapons and you as a group enter this game space and you try to defeat another group of characters with different skills and specialties
1: that was actually pretty good and I say that because I don't actually understand the gameplay itself that well I just understand the DFS application Of the game, But I think you're right. Yeah, there's there's objectives, there's rules, there's maps, there's team play, there's team fights. Um, I barely understand it, but I do enjoy the DFS game.
0: Have you already started looking at week one of the NFL season for DFS? No, I mean, mean, Matt,
1: we're, we're all living one day at a time right now, brother. That's true. That's true. A lot of players
0: coming down with COVID. I don't know. I'm getting nervous. Which team's going to be the most impacted by the coronavirus? So there's two things, and
1: they actually kind of align in a really interesting way. It's okay. Which states are have been the most reckless with their reopenings? Uh, Florida, ding ding ding. What teams are the youngest on average in the NFL? I mean, the Dolphins and Jags are two of the younger teams in the NFL. That's right. The Bucks were last year one of the older team or youngest, although they got older this year, but. I think you got to look to Florida in these young teams. They're in a high, dense, high-risk area, and they're also younger people in general are being less cautious. So, I mean, I feel like it has to be
0: one of those Florida teams. Or Arizona or Texas. Yeah. One of these high-profile quarterbacks is going to miss a month with coronavirus. It's going to happen. If you had to guess, who would it be? I guess I have to say Gardner Minshew. Oh, that's a good guess. That's a great guess. He has a dirtbag mustache and has been traveling across the country in a caravan. Exactly. Yes. He, he's been doing a world tour. He, he, he has no care in the world. Maximum exposure for Gardner Minshew. Yeah. The hope is he gets it now and not during the season.
1: Well, I've seen these theories floated of, you know, people now say Zeke Elliott is one of the safer picks. I mean, I, I don't know if it, it actually works like that, right? Like, are we convinced that you have the immunity, that you're not going to have long-lasting issues, that it's actually good to get COVID? That seems like a galaxy brain idea that I can't quite sign off on.
0: So you're not picking Ezekiel Elliott at the 101 because he's immune?
1: <laughs> I'm not picking Ezekiel Elliott pretty much no matter
0: what. Is that because running backs don't matter?
1: I just, he's not my favorite there, but I guess if you're sitting there at 104 and you're looking at the cliff before uh, all the good running backs go away, then yeah, I might be forced to, but I'm never taking him over. I guess, I mean, are people taking him over Barkley and C-Mac? That seems crazy.
0: No, 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 no. What do you think? Can Barkley be this year's Christian McCaffrey? I think so. Yeah. Why not, right? Things are falling into place perfectly for Saquon Barkley, including acquiring... Ezekiel Elliott's former coach. Yeah. Jason Garrett teams finish in the top 10 in every rushing category, whether it be rushing yards per game, yards per carry. Jason Garrett teams finish at the top of the NFL. Since he was put in a leadership position for an NFL team, my theory is that he's been overcompensating for his baby face by trying to be tough guy NFL coach and just going just, All toughness, all tenacity, run the ball, play defense, run the ball, play defense. And that's been the sensibility that's informed his play calling all along. Whether it be DeMarco Murray, whether it be Ezekiel Elliott, now Saquon Barkley, his receiving skills are undisputable. So now you have the receiving skills with huge volume between the tackles. That's how you can surpass Christian McCaffrey.
1: Yeah, and the frustrating thing, if you were rostering Saquon Barkley last year, is you'd watch these games over and over where they weren't getting him the ball in space. They were just having him ram it up the middle, the two yards in a cloud of dust. And it was like, this is not how you deploy this running back. And he was succeeding, you know, in spite of the play calling, ripping off runs. Um, so, yeah, if we can just see a little more efficiency, a little more creativeness in the play calling there, yeah, he's going to he's gonna be right there with C-Mac as the, uh, the 101-102 this
0: year. I would love to see a zero RB zealot get the 101 or 102 and see what they do. Like, do you go Michael Thomas at the 102? You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You're exposed. You're exposed.
1: Even the most ardent, uh, zero RB zealots like myself concede that you need to take one of those guys with the top three or four picks if you got them. I mean, then then you're just being stubborn uh, to the point of trying to trigger people and make a point, which I'm not above doing. I love how much zero RB triggers people. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I'm not taking Michael Thomas over those guys.
0: That would be irrational. Running backs do matter in fantasy football. They just don't matter much in real football. That's it. That's all you need to know. But On social media, it's frustrating to watch the collision between the fantasy analysis and the real football analysis where you see these two individuals talking past each other. It's frustrating to even observe on social media.
1: Yeah, and how many times do we have to see this play out before people are willing to concede? I mean, the Chargers were the perfect use case. They have their first-round drafted running back, Melvin Gordon, go down, and Austin Eckler steps in, what what was he? Was he he's out of Western State? Was he even was he undrafted?
0: He was undrafted and Western State sounds like a fake school.
1: Yeah, it's it's not because I I know people in Colorado where I grew up that went and played sports there, which says if I went to high school with people who played college sports at, with Austin Eckler, that's all you need to know about the school. Uh, but yeah, so Austin Eckler steps in and is better than Melvin Gordon, more efficient, better pass catcher. The offense didn't lose anything. Like how many times do we have to do this before we realize that it doesn't matter?
0: What about handcuffing, though? If you were in a best ball league before the Melvin Gordon holdout was announced and you handcuffed him with Austin Eckler, you felt pretty smart. But that doesn't mean you actually handcuff ever, right?
1: I am pretty, in general, anti-handcuff unless it is, you know, if you have monster bench spots and you're able to mess around or if you're just breaking ties. Like I've seen, you know, instances where Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are both pretty good values at where they're going. If that makes sense um, and it's fair ADP, then I don't mind it. But I'm not going out of my way to handcuff. You're just capping upside.
0: I found a handcuff that makes sense this year. Handcuffing Rob Gronkowski with OJ Howard. If you can get O.J. Howard very late. It's cheap, yeah. Because they're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. They're both going to be on the field. There could be games where they both produce. So it's not a strict handcuff situation. But if either one gets hurt, the other benefits from an increased target share. Yeah. You have some insurance with some upside. I like it. I like that one. But that's very rare. I mean, you have to really thread the needle to find a scenario where it would actually make sense to handcuff a player. I'll
1: give you I'll give you one I accidentally did in the draft we did with John Solis, the George Floyd charity invitational. In the Ooh. 17th and 18th, oh no, sorry, 16th and 17th, I ended up taking T. Higgins and John Ross back-to-back.
0: Oh, oh, well that's great because that's late enough. That's late enough. Those are probably failed picks anyway. So you're actually improving your chances of hitting by taking two players one of them one of them is going to have weeks this year yeah i don't know which one i do one of those two guys is going to have weeks i like your team in this george floyd charity invitational i like it a lot thank you in fact you got michael thomas in the first i should have selected michael thomas and i gifted him to you because i took joe Mixon.
1: i was listening to you talk with beers uh on your last episode and i was uh i was reveling as you uh lamented that decision
0: so pissed it was a catastrophic blunder but only in retrospect after i found out that all oh, this sorotovis draft this is gonna be a lot of zero rb rosters i fucked up no you
1: were drafting off of the fantasy football counselors high testosterone draft guide you took six running backs in the first eight <laughs> rounds i mean <laughs> what the hell were you doing
0: if the counselor and i ride this strategy into the sunset and destroy the fantasy footballers and everyone else, it is going to be beautiful. I am here for the counselor and I raising our hands together at the top of the podium. I couldn't believe it. I mean, six running
1: backs in the first eight rounds just to own the libs over and over and over.
0: (laughs) But you made some great picks, man. Look at you. I'm looking at Mark Andrews in the early second, tight end premium. Then you did the smart thing. You did the smart thing that we talked about earlier. You went Matt Ryan in the early third, and you left Wentz for me, and I didn't take it. You went Ryan over Wentz, and that is the right move. Ryan actually has a higher ceiling and a higher floor than Carson Wentz.
1: Yeah, Carson Wentz is an interesting one. He, I don't mind him if he slips, but yeah, where he's going, it just I would rather take you know Matt Ryan. Uh, I even like Josh Allen uh over him as well i don't know if that's a hot take or not
0: my disdain for carson wentz's adp not him the adp of course mm. has cooled in that i am now more bullish on wentz when i found out that carson wentz was the first quarterback in nfl history to throw for more than four thousand yards without a single wide receiver on the team <laughs> eclipsing 500 receiving yards Let that sink in, Peter. I'm going to let it sink in here. Just give me a second. I'm sorry, Carson. Especially after the Eagles selected a quarterback in the second round, I thought, okay, this is the signal we've been waiting for. I can now be all the way out on Carson Wentz. And then I read that stat, and now I'm back in. And you look at how
1: the Eagles use their running backs. When you see the amount of catches both Miles Sanders and Boston Scott were getting at the end of the year, they obviously have the two tight ends. They add Rager. This is a team that wants to throw the ball. Did I just start talking myself into Carson Wentz after saying I wasn't
0: that high on him? I think I did. In unison, we're talking ourselves back into Carson Wentz. I'm here for it. The guy is also a sneaky rusher. Yeah. 62 carries last year, but only one rushing touchdown. He's going to benefit from some positive mean reversion, this guy. I'm not pick him over Matt Ryan in, but I'm kind of in. I'm kind of in, but Matt Ryan is the ultimate. Matt Ryan was a great pick. You did a great job. Great job. What about Scott Fish? you have a strategy for the Scott Fish Bowl? So I'm picking
1: 104. Uh, Do you know who else is picking 104? Two-time NBA champion Shane Battier, also an on-the-record 0-RB lover. Did you see that?
0: I saw Shane Battier's in the Scott Fishbowl, Bowl, and it made me smile. Of course he's in the Scott Fish Bowl. Shane Battier's a nerd, just like the rest of us. Just some nerds are also really good at basketball and professional sports. It's a beautiful thing, man. You should jump into his DMs, too. You could have a podcast with Shane Battier and Patrick Laird.
1: That would actually be pretty good. That would be good.
0: I'm sure Patrick Laird applied to Duke. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he wanted to stay home near near his family at Cal, but I'm sure he could have uh, gotten into Duke.
0: Oh, yeah. Duke was recruiting him hard. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh, God. They were calling him every day.
1: I do just want to share this thing because people put together these group DMs for Scott Fishbowl based on your draft slot so people can talk strategy. And a funny thing happened.
0: Oh, God. Please get me out of that. I'm going to leave that DM so fast if I get in a group DM of Others with the same draft slot in the Scott Fishbowl. Love the Scott Fish Bowl. I'm not here for that DM group. Thank you.
1: Let me tell this story. So I get in the DM group. There's a million messages, but one of them I noticed from Shane Battier, and he's saying, I have the 104. Zero RB has treated me so well, but can I possibly take Michael Thomas over one of these running backs or quarterbacks? And I was like, I love this man. I love this man, Shane Battier. We were talking about who are the 0RB truthers that would maybe consider taking Michael Thomas. I'll tell you one. He's a two-time NBA champion. His name is Shane Battier.
0: I have a message for Shane Battier. No. (laughs) But Shane, you can't take Michael Thomas over Alvin Kamara. That would be a mistake. You can't take him over Ezekiel Elliott, especially if he has the antibodies. That would be a (laughs) catastrophic blunder. You could select him over Dalvin Cook, who may hold out. He may hold out. He could. Who's more likely to hold out, Cook, Mixon, Kamara, or Jones?
1: I mean, it has to be Cook, right? We already know that he's on record of saying he, he will threaten to hold out. He's on record
0: saying he might threaten. <laughs> yeah.
1: And when you look at some of these other, so say Joe Mixon, I mean, this team, they just drafted Joe Burrow, they draft T. Higgins, like they are signaling, hey, this offense is going to go through Burrow. Joe Mixon is not the foundation of our franchise. The Vikings, Dalvin Cook can make a case. You get rid of Stefan Diggs. They have always been a run-oriented team, fewest pass attempts in the league. He can at least make a case. You guys need me more than I need you. I don't know if those other running backs can make that case.
0: That's right. And he seems like a team player, especially the way he handled the Drew Brees controversy. I think he's focused on competing for a Super Bowl this year. I think that's going to consume him and help to smooth the negotiations. Aaron Jones has no leverage now, and he knows it, so I don't think he's going to hold out. Yeah, it's between Mixon and Cook. I just think that Mixon has not yet reached the levels of the game that Dalvin Cook has, and his demands will likely be less. But I also think that the Cincinnati Bengals need him more because they don't have an Alexander Madison and they have a franchise quarterback that needs to be protected.
1: When is a player profiler going to release their ego score metric? It'd be nice to just pull it up and see. Yes, the ego
0: metric. Yes, yes. Just feel-based analysis, man. Just using my gut. Learn it from the best. Joseph Roberts. Patrick Laird,
1: one percentile ego score.
0: How about Chris Godwin? Low ego score, high football score. There you go. You got to love Chris Godwin. Who's this year's Chris Godwin? Because I've heard it's Calvin Ridley. You can't say Calvin Ridley.
1: So when we say this year's Chris Godwin, we mean a guy that has already demonstrated based on his college profile and his short window in the NFL that he was on the path to superstardom and then fulfilled that that coming season.
0: Is that kind of the definition we're working with? A guy that's drafted outside the top 50 picks. Who's clearly on a breakout trajectory and just needs something to break his way. I got it. But it also requires a hot take like mine last year in order to come to fruition Mm. that in the case of Chris Godwin, he's better than Mike Evans. He's a better player than Mike Evans. And now when PFF launches this gimmick where they redraft the entire NFL, Chris Godwin is the first non-quarterback selected. Yeah. So, I mean, you're welcome, everybody.
1: So I don't have the one thing for my hot take is I don't have the like Mike Evans uh, narrative comparison. But how about this? DJ Chark is this year's Chris
0: Godwin. That's a great one. That's a great one. Why? Because he looks like an alpha athletically and the efficiency he demonstrated last year. He's going into his third year as the primary option in what should be an improved passing game. Check, 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 check. 4.34. 40-yard dash, 40-inch vertical
1: leap. Uh, Rotoviz had a had a graph on him in an article. I believe it was a, a Wallace article, and it was looking at the cohort of wide receivers who had been in the league for two years that had similar amount of receptions and targets per game. This was the short list. Andre Johnson, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, and Mike Evans. Those were his comps.
0: It's all about DJ Chark this year, buddy. Yeah. It's all about DJ Chark! Who's this year's Mark Andrews?
1: This year's Mark Andrews. We mentioned him earlier. It's TJ Hawkinson.
0: It's either him or Gasecki. It's one or the other. I can't decide. How do you decide between those two guys? It's hard. Uh, my heart as a
1: Miami Dolphins fan wants to say Gasecki. Miami
0: Dolphins fan because of Patrick Laird. Fin's up. Fin's up. Because you decorated a cake with his face on it. Ah! It all started with a Patrick
1: Laird icing. Can you see my webcam there? My signed Patrick Laird jersey on the wall? That's fins up. Unbelievable. This is so cool. (laughs) Hawkinson, though, man.
0: Oh, Hawkinson.
1: Again, the the tight ends that are taken in the first round, they historically break out in year two. We've seen him. We've seen the ceiling. We saw it week one against Arizona. Uh, He finished the year with the ankle injury, which hampered him. Um, And we know that the Lions are fully willing to, to air it out with Matt Stafford when the game script relies on it. So I, I don't think Marvin Jones is a, is a huge threat. We we all like Kenny Galladay, but I think Hawkinson can be the number two target oh. in that offense.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You're getting really good at this whole fantasy football thing, Peter. I think you have a career beyond comedy. <laughs> well, good thing because I'm a former comedian, right?
1: <laughs> That's it. The
0: So which player are you selecting that just feels gross can't say David Johnson
1: the one that I've been drafting in multiple spots that I hate every time is Aaron Rodgers
0: oh well I hate Aaron Rodgers as a person not necessarily as a fantasy pick but please talk me into hating Aaron Rodgers the fantasy pick because then I just hate every part of him
1: no I didn't I didn't say I hate it just feels gross to me I'm getting him because he is gross he's an asshole
0: He can't even drink a full beer. (laughs) He is. He thinks he's so cool and so smart. He is the most condescending professional athlete in the world. Fuck out of here.
1: How many wide receivers has he run out of town?
0: Get out of here. He's so condescending and impossible to work with. He's like the Sean Penn of athletes. Fuck out of here, man. You're great. We get it. But we don't have to work with you.
1: Would he break the ego score metric on player profiler?
0: Yes, he is in the 100th percentile. (laughs) He thinks he's the greatest football player of all time. Meanwhile, Tom Brady's actually the one putting in the work. Oh, here we go. Who everyone wants to play with. Not a single football player has come out publicly and said, you know what, I'll take less money to go play in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. No one says that. In fact, they have a difficult time recruiting receivers to go to Green Bay. Meanwhile... Everyone wants to play in the other bay with Tom Brady. Why? Because it's a work environment and they enjoy working with him. And that matters, Aaron. So I
1: think you need to update your slogan that you have on a throw pillow that says, I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. Asterix, dot, dot, dot. Unless that player is Aaron Rodgers, in which case I hate him and I don't mind his ADP. I yeah,
0: ju- <laughs> I actually don't mind his ADP. I just don't like him as a person. He fucking sucks. <sighs> now speaking of gross, will James White outproduce Sony Michelle this year because of all the negative game script in New England? Because they're going to be bad.
1: I, I think so. I mean, that is the whole, the whole narrative on Sony Michelle last year for season long for DFS. It was, you want him in a positive game script. You know, they have yeah. this good offensive line. They're going to be at the goal line. Is it a Sony Michelle game or is it a James White game? Yeah. Well, yeah. Look at the, look at the weapons
0: right now and tell me how every game is not going to be a James White game. Why not James White? Why not James White? Especially in the best ball leagues where you don't know when the scripts are going to flip super positive or super negative so you take those guys like James White and Tariq Cohen in best ball leagues I don't want to have to sweat whether or not to start a James White or Tariq Cohen in a traditional league fuck out of here those guys are ideal best ball players and I have no interest in seasonal leagues in one-dimensional satellite backs no thank you I do have interest in some rookie running backs Who's the rookie running back you're targeting most heavily in seasonal leagues?
1: The guy I keep ending up with the most, although he's not necessarily the cheapest, is Zach Moss. I have a lot of Zach Moss.
0: Oh, God. Yep. The reason why I'm not so upset by that is because that necessarily means you're off Devin Singletary. And I'm here for that analysis.
1: No, because remember I told you earlier that there's been drafts where I've thought singletary and zach moss uh are both good values at their adp
0: oh no yeah i try to forget that you you tried
1: to you tried to make it all nice but i can't no yeah i they're both (sighs) the thing is matt when you draft zero rb like me (sighs) guys like singletary and zach moss are the guys that are following in the zero rb window for
0: us your rb1 is Devin singletary if you must execute a pure zero RB strategy which is why the counselor and I would never do that the whole
1: thing about zero RB Matt it isn't that you in a perfect world have you know Devin Singletary as your RB1 it's that the opportunity cost of the dart throw Todd Gurley's that you're drafting over the Terry McLaurin's dart throw yes dart throw
0: Todd Gurley dart throw that's the name of the show
1: Todd Gurley is the ultimate dart throw. The team doesn't, the coach doesn't even know what his medicals are right now. He goes, I think
0: he's going to be all right. Oh my God. I think he's going to be great in recent history. Like in the history of the earth, it's just like not even a second, like a fraction of a second, just in the history of the earth. It's so recent that Todd Gurley was the number one player in all of fantasy football by a wide margin. And Just in the off chance that he can recapture some of that magic in Atlanta in the Shangri-La of fantasy point scoring, when your bad defense is going up against super productive offenses week in, week out, and the Falcons have too many weapons for opposing defenses to account for, that's the perfect scenario. He landed in the perfect scenario. If he can't produce in the perfect situation, then I'm out. Yeah, he could be easily flushed out of the league this year. Understood. I get it. I get it. I'm here for one more run, man. What's an album where the band put out their signature career defining album? A few albums later they put out a very good album.
1: I mean, Radiohead probably checks that box. If you say like Hail to the Thief was their their seminal one, and then, you know, eight or nine years later they come out with another one that goes mainstream. The one that really hit was uh in rainbows.
0: So Todd Gurley is the radio head of fantasy football, unless he's bad. Here's why Todd Gurley is interesting, because we comp him to a band where the lead singer spent an entire music video in a shopping cart. That was good. He literally climbed into a shopping cart and was just being pushed in a shopping cart around the grocery store. That's how small he is. So in that way, he's not like Todd Gurley at all. He's closer to Edo Smith. I don't know if there's any running back in the league to be able to push around in a shopping cart. The shopping cart that Tom York sat in in the Karma Police video, it was one of those British shopping carts. which was even smaller than American shopping carts because everything's smaller in England.
1: This is a shopping cart podcast
0: now. I can't believe we're talking about Tom York and the shopping cart, but that happened.
1: I don't know, Matt. The an old uh, analyst I used to like, he would say hoping that Todd Gurley returns to form would be um, fancy wanting, I believe, would be the phrase you'd be looking for.
0: I'm doing that. I've become such a feel and gut-based analyst now. I'm taking my cues from the best in the business, you know who it is. You know who I'm talking about.
1: You're a lion now. You used to be a sheep and now you're a lion. <laughs> <laughs> Todd Gurley, not so long ago, was the number one ranked player in fantasy. And also three months ago, I was allowed to go to a bar and not concoct a disease. So, you know, things change. (sighs)
0: Oh, God. Who's your favorite rookie receiver to draft in seasonal leagues? Visca. Love it. He could be the number two very easily. Dee Westbrook is not a thing. He's been getting 100 targets a year and doing nothing with them for two consecutive years. It's over. Chris Conley is not... A featured option. Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? LaVisca Chenault is next. That's who's next. The only thing that is stopping Gardner Minshew,
1: DJ Chark, and LaVisca Chenault from going bonkers this year is Mr. COVID-19. That's the only thing.
0: That could be uh, hairy virus in the ointment in Jacksonville. But assuming these guys don't get COVID, they're going to be league winners. What about tight end? Who's your favorite late round tight end? You got to go beyond TJ Hawkinson talking late.
1: No, I will. I drafted this guy in the George Floyd Invitational, Gerald Everett.
0: Oh, Gerald Everett. I just saw Evan Silva select Gerald Everett in a best ball league. Explain.
1: Yeah, well, I think this is one of those things where how the season ended in recency bias is uh, dictating the ADPs. And right now we have people are way too overconfident on Tyler Higby because of that fast Finish last year, and they're underweighting what Gerald Everett did for the majority of the season, and I think there's, I think he's priced at his floor right now where Higby is priced closer to his ceiling.
0: Absolutely. The Rams found increased offensive efficiency last year by switching over to 12 personnel. Well, 12 personnel is a two tight end set, and to have a two tight end set, you need two tight ends, not one! Okay? (laughs) the second tight end is Gerald Everett. He just didn't happen to play in the second half. Go look at the splits with and without Gerald Everett. Don't want to talk to me about the splits between Calvin Ridley and Austin Hooper. Fuck you. Go look at Tyler Higby's splits with and without Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett's going to be on the field. And in his career, Tyler Higby has done jack squat when Gerald Everett's been on the field. It's embarrassing. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. No. You're not drafting Tyler Higby. You know, Tyler Higby is one of the most overdrafted tight ends in fantasy football right now. He's the reason why we're avoiding that whole swath of tight ends.
1: Right. It's the same thing as playing out with, say, the 49ers backfield. It's people are overconfident that it's most Mostert, and you can just wait and get Tevin Coleman, who's the way better value and is
0: priced closer to his floor. That's right. That's right. Tyler Higby is the Raheem Mostert of tight ends. It's easy. It's easy. When we break it down this way... It's so easy. What about uh, superflex leagues? This George Floyd was superflex. Do you have any superflex wisdom for us? So, what greatly
1: informed my strategy in that was Blair Andrews had just put out an article looking at the best win rates for superflex best ball leagues, and getting your three quarterbacks in rounds three through five had yielded. The best win rates, which makes sense conceptually because those are generally the running backs in a standard league. Matt right now is leaning back in his chair, you know, going hysterical,
0: like I know, I know, I blew it, I blew it. I could have had Wentz Brady and Breeze in round three, four, five. <laughs> I fucked up, man. <laughs> fucked up. Leonard Fournette is gonna vaporize the Podfather this year, but I'm taking the counselor down with me.
1: The thing is, Matt, it is a charity league, and you just really took that to heart, which I appreciate. I
0: really did. I really did. It was charity. <laughs> Fournette would have gone two rounds later. It, you and Kevin
1: Cole. What an idiot. Kevin Cole decided to draft a Tua as his QB1 in
0: a Superflex league. So. All right, that was the ultimate charity.
1: And you were talking about this with Beers, too. Like We're trying to hit the upside quarterbacks late. We don't want to pay this year's price on Mahomes and Lamar. We want to try to get that next guy. And I'm not saying the guys I drafted are that guy, but those are the windows where we're going to have the best chance of doing it.
0: We also drafted a Dynasty League together, the Twitter Invitational hosted by Ryan McDowell. How did you feel about that draft?
1: I think I made a mistake with my quarterbacks in that draft. I only have Daniel Jones and Matt Ryan as my two locked and
0: loaded starters.
1: Uh, I definitely messed up not getting a third, but I love the the rest of my roster otherwise. so that that's gonna be an issue though.
0: What did you think about my draft <laughs> Trading back for first rounders next year? so
1: i I liked the long view, but what like when you're drafting guys like Joe Mixon early with that view, I mean, are you trying to turn a profit early and flip him
0: or is he a cornerstone for your team? He's a cornerstone for my team. he's twenty three years old. All right. He's going to be productive for three, four years. Deciding you're not necessarily going to be in play mm. to win in 2020 doesn't mean you can't turn right around and compete in 2021. It's conceivable that Joe Mixon's a top three pick heading into 2021. Yeah. You could easily see it. And that's why I picked him. He's going to accrue value. No matter what I want to do with him at 23 years old in that situation, He's going to accrue value. It's the reason why you lean super youth at running back. That's why I selected Darius Geis. He's only going to accrue value. There's nowhere to go but up for Darius Geis unless he tears another ACL and then it's over. But it wasn't like I paid a lot for him. Yeah. So my running backs are Cam Akers. He's 20. Joe Mixon and Darius Geis. But then also Keyshawn Vaughn. Got him in the first pick in the second round because it's super flex. And... Damian Harris. So Damian Harris could easily be a primary back by the end of the season. Easily. Easily. So you want to target these asymmetrical upside plays, especially in the double-digit rounds of dynasty leagues, where their value can literally quadruple in a week with a Sony Michelle injury.
1: And I, I want to say you and me were the only people in this league to acquire future first. I might be wrong, but I would say 75% of this league was going for winning in, in year one.
0: Super aggressive. You saw some of the picks that were being made, too, where older players were being selected before similarly productive younger players. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's almost no youth premium in this league. It's just the collision of egos among fantasy analysts. We exploited that to get 2021 picks. That's what we did. I also accrued value with Deontay Johnson. I mean, you could never get Deontay Johnson where I got him now. No.
1: That, well, the Deontay Johnson hype train went off the rails. Of-
0: I mean, what? I can't sell him fast enough. I mean, I haven't traded him yet. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. I mean, this is the right moment, and then flip. There was also a
1: market inefficiency in that draft. Like, I'm looking at it. So I drafted the 208 208- the 209 and the 301 all at the end of the 13th and 14th round. I turned that into Zach Moss, AJ Dillon, those guys. The running backs that were going that were veterans at that time were like Rashad Penny. Um, you know, I'm scrolling through trying to find some other names here.
0: The Podfather has just put Deontay Johnson on the block. <laughs> Do you actually use the trade block? I just did. I put him on the block. Some people have that alert on. They'll get an email and he's on the block. Yeah. Yeah. I'm open for business. Yeah. Anyways. And these analysts actually listen to the show as well. This is an insider show, Peter. We are the analysts analyst.
1: The point I was trying to finish was that in rookie in startup drafts that included I'm trying to finish. rookie picks did the, the back half of the second round of this rookie class was being way undervalued in startups, like scooping up those late picks that turned into Brandon Ayuk and LaVisca Chennault
0: mm-hmm.
1: and these guys was just automatically turning a profit. And I don't even mean, I'm, I'm player agnostic. I just mean where they're going now in startups.
0: Yeah, you had the 205, you had the 208, you had the 209, you had the 303, woo! You had a
1: ton of picks too, but you were scooping up all the the early ones because that was your build.
0: I had five picks between 106 and 203. Yeah, that was where I wanted to focus so I could get Akers, Tua, Jefferson, Rager, Vaughn. I've actually cooled on Vaughn as his ADP has skyrocketed. Mm. If I could go back, I would select Ruggs there over Vaughn because between Rager and Jefferson and Ruggs, that's three first-rounders. One of those guys is going to break out absolutely all over the place. I just don't know which one. One of those three guys will be a wide receiver one. I just, I, I, I don't know which one. And then at least one of them is going to be a total bust as well. I'm just worried I selected one of the busts. But my focus was accruing value in year one. And then mid-season, right, November 10th, where it's clear who's going to be competing for a championship are revealed. Then you can approach those teams with particular offers to get their first rounder if they have it. That's the time to strike to rip the first rounder away from those teams that still have them. So if you're competing in November and you still have your first rounder, you should be circled by sharks who are no longer competitive. But I believe it's possible you and I are the only sharks in this, <laughs> other than Ryan McDowell, of course, and Scott Fish. You get it? Uh, yeah, because yeah, a, f- a shark is a fish, yeah. See, shark's a fish? Yeah. See that?
1: But not all fish are sharks.
0: Because of the, the whole gills thing? <laughs> Where these conversations devolve is beautiful to me. I enjoy it very, very much. Who's your highest owned dynasty player? Honestly, after
1: these rookie drafts, it's probably LaVisca Chenault.
0: I'm just glad it's LaVisca and not Zach Moss. Although you did select Zach Moss in this Twitter invitational as well. You just couldn't help yourself.
1: My actual highest owned uh, guy is Patrick Laird.
0: No, it is. You have him in this draft too. I'm sure you have him in every league. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I have to. (laughs) You qualify for truth or status on Patrick Laird. Yeah. You really do. It's not crazy. It's not like he's super small. He's 205 pounds. It's not like he's not athletic. He has an 88th percentile agility score. It's not like he's not productive. He was productive at Cal and super active in the passing game. So many stranger things have happened than Patrick Laird being relevant in PPR leagues. Just like Daria Wale could be this RB3 and very useful in PPR leagues, so could Patrick Laird. I could so see setting up DFS lineups where you're putting Laird and Wale in flex at some point this season because the other running backs have fallen down around them.
1: Nothing would make me happier to make a DFS lineup with two forty dollars pass catching running backs and five 9K wide receivers and tight ends. That's how we roll.
0: That's how we roll. Last question. Give me a very, 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 for two thousand twenty. Oh, that was a lot of Aries.
1: Well, I'm I am not gonna sell you short on this one. I know sometimes people come in here, they're they're ready to hedge, they don't wanna back themselves into a corner.
0: No.
1: I'm gonna give you one so scorching, so hot that you're going to be forced to end the episode right here. You're going to want to get your words in. Matt Kelly likes having the button, but I'm not going to allow you. This is going to scorch the earth. Matt Kelly.
0: If you just send us out on a crescendo that has some insight and some enthusiasm, we will go out on that, Peter. We do go out on the guest's take sometimes if it checks those boxes.
1: Okay, then here we go. Matt Kelly, my very, 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 very bold prediction for 2020 is Christian Kirk outscores DeAndre Hopkins. Old prediction for 2020 is christian kirk outscores deandre hopkins
0: and that's the show yeah buddy that was fun dude we did a great job uh the first question i thought was kind of a shot didn't you think so shot across the bow with the first question
1: well maybe we wait and hear what my response is
0: former comedian former
1: Hey, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not tipping my hand before we start recording. For,
0: former comedian, former.
1: Until, until we're on the air.
0: <laughs> you're not giving away anything.
1: No, because then, then you're gonna outmaneuver once you know the new information. See, I can't, I, I'm too,
0: I'm ahead of- Former. Anyone that makes the crossover, whether it's from serious fantasy analyst to comedian, which is what I'm trying to do unsuccessfully, or from comedian to serious fantasy analyst? It's very difficult. So, a lot of respect. I think I think your path is more difficult.
1: I'm not answering this until we go on the air cuz I have problems with all of this.
0: I have like Tony Kornheiser. There's guys that, you know, went from serious and then devolved into comedy. There's fewer proofs of concept for the the comedy to serious.
1: What makes you think I want to go serious?
0: I'm, ju- dude. I don't think you do. I just think it's funny. I don't think anyone's ever done it in the history of sports media. If you do it, dude. If you do it, and and you're like winning the millie maker, that'd be an epic story. It would be. I don't see it happening the way I continue to play DFS, but I'm not saying it's likely. I'm saying if it happened, it would be fucking amazing. It's true. I'll have the screenshot in the chamber, just gotta take
1: down one of these Millie Makers. Not
0: even a Millie if you just b- broke into the Roto-Grinders
1: top 50. I was in the top 50 for League of Legends DFS for a little while, people
0: forget that, Matt. I don't forget, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 Let's get this show on the road. I have a bunch of questions about joseph robert is it robert or roberts roberts it's roberts
1: i'm the foremost fantasy football counselor historian
0: i have a lot of questions about joseph roberts i think we should go very deep inside baseball on joseph roberts I am happy to do so, it's one of my favorite pastimes. I think it's fucking amazing. This is my thing, I love this. This whole idea, his existence is amazing to me. He's he's incredible. He is incredible, like I, I can't believe it. And the irony is so thick that you can't even make this shit up. Well, it's cause it's real, Matt. He's actually self-serious fantasy guy who's terrible. Like every other self-serious fantasy guy comes with numbers and you have to actually give them credit for being quite good i I don't get along with mike clay but it's not like i can find this giant flaw in his projections and wave it around that's not happening but with joseph roberts i mean what the fuck rich rebar that we're talking about it we're like listen man the analytical arms race in fantasy football is so extreme like rich rebar feels insecure he feels like he is Becoming obsolete And a lot of people I know think he's the best in the industry Yeah And even he doesn't feel secure So I have a guy go the other direction He's like you know what Fuck this analytical arms race I'm going in the other direction I'm going more feel based I'm going more gut Not less Yeah yeah. He, he took
1: the Info Wars playbook I mean his bio is literally the face and truth of fantasy football Like he's playing a whole different game than everybody else And he's crushing at it
0: fewer stats not not more dude what no it's counterintuitive and genius it is that he would just go head first into this other direction you know that's where all the mimics are and he doesn't care he's just been training for this for years just playing the day over and over and over and over and over and over and over again it's impressive
1: There's a couple things he does, though, that other people don't do. He literally responds to almost every single comment. He is more engaged with his fans than any fantasy football analyst
0: I know. He's an animal. He's not even close. He's an animal. Yeah. He's an animal. You have to give him credit for being an animal because just effort gets you really far. Just being intense and tenacious. Yeah. Especially in a silly game within a game people are like oh the most accurate projections the most accurate rankings and i'm like if you only knew how little that fucking matters at the end of the
1: day this is all entertainment and it's just whatever flavors of that entertainment people choose
0: to consume fucking joseph roberts man he's a canadian muscle head this is so good it's so good former mma fighter wait he's an mma
1: fighter he did some amateur mma fights back in the day
0: wow good for him man Good for him. Well, the border's closed, so I'll talk shit all day. Knowing I'm safe from Joseph Robert, and then when the border opens up, I'll start getting anxious. He's going to come after me.
1: Last year, he was doing some of these live drafts at Hooters, uh, and I was going to try to go attend one. Um, I'm going to have to wait until COVID's over over to do it, but uh, I'm going to meet the counselor one way or the other. You're
0: going to fly to Toronto to to meet him?
1: I'd fly to Toronto for a Hooters fantasy football draft with the counselor.
0: I flew to Toronto just for a meetup with a buddy to hang out. Yeah, there you go. Why not? We were just like, hey, have you been to Toronto? No, it's supposed to be a cool city. Okay, let's go. We had to do a bunch of work. They had a lot of Starbucks there. It was like you could literally throw a tennis ball down the street to the next Starbucks. All right, so I'll bring you on. You know, how do I introduce you, bro? I mean, there's just so much going on.
1: that's your job, man, I'm the guest.
0: I definitely should bring up the randomizer show and it's super innovative and I was on it and that's why it's great. I Yeah, we can do that. cast. Yep. Aren't you a regular member of the cast now? I am.
1: Yeah, I um, took over Evan Silva's really small shoes.
0: Yeah, he has giant shoes. Such big shoes. But I feel like you're on this quest to go viral and you just you just can't quite get there. Is that a, is that a narrative we can go with?
1: On TikTok, yes. I... I... My, my TikToks do good on Twitter and they do awful on TikTok.
0: What does that mean?
1: It means that I'm optimizing my TikToks for Twitter virality and not TikTok virality.
0: I wonder what the deal is with that. Maybe we could discuss it. What are we talking about? Are we talking about like less than a thousand views on TikTok? Oh, yeah. Almost all of mine only have around
1: a couple hundred views on TikTok.
0: What? I thought if you did a TikTok, you were instantly over a thousand. Like it's such a popular platform globally.
1: No, so like I did a DFS one yesterday on TikTok it has like a 100 views and on Twitter it has 10,000 or uh yeah, 10,000 views.
0: It might not happen for you on TikTok. Exactly. Holy shit, man, that's a bummer. So, TikTok failure, but you're using the platform to create great Twitter content. You nailed it. Fucking awesome, man. This is a great and former comedian. Former comedian, yeah. <laughs> How many people do you think remember the Fantasy Football Comedy Hour?
1: Oh, not that many. But it's come back as a recurring joke on the Swolecast because my username on FanDuel is FF comedy Hour underscore Pete. And so they bring that up all the time. And so then people figured out what the reference was to.
0: That you had a comedy show, a fantasy football comedy show. It was quite good. I was on it.
1: It was. It was just a shit ton of
0: work. It's like Fantasyland the podcast the ff comedy hour been a couple podcasts that you've hosted that were excellent that were just a lot of work
1: yeah not sustainable
0: you actually do great work people need to know that you're not just out here making jokes (laughs) taking down the counselor
1: i know your tactic it's to get the guests loose and comfortable but you don't have to do that with me matt you know i come ready to go
0: no one has pushed back ...on the warm-up more than you.
1: Because I know what you're doing.
0: Like, you're not taking any layups. You're just sitting on the bench, staring at the floor, singing, tip off, let's go. Let's go. Tip off, let's go.
1: Yeah, I see right through your... Hey, look, your I'm shirt. trying to
0: go. You keep interrupting me. Welcome to the Roto... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? La Vizca Chenault next. That's who's next.
1: This is beautiful.
0: The most best failed podcast. That's great.
1: Couldn't just give the full compliment. The most failed podcast. Successful failed podcast. Thank you for that, Matt. I appreciate it.
0: And if you're not on Patreon, you don't deserve this show.
1: What if I reject to this entire premise on multiple levels?
0: It was the best bit of analysis we have on Akui Boonim, and it included nothing about him scoring fantasy points. (laughs) He's back. Boom. The counselor Joseph Roberts is both self-serious and terrible at fantasy football.
1: Well, it's because it's real, Matt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, what? Let's go. Get your biceps popping, throw up the selfie stick, and fucking let's go and let's just talk football and just talk about how we feel about it. More guts, less numbers.
1: This sounds like the monologue you give yourself in the mirror every morning before you wake up.
0: This guy is a lion. And all the doubters are sheep. You spend four hours working on a model that 300 people will see and three people will open.
1: The counselor is beating you at your own game. You are doing threads of gifts, trying to back it up with stats. No one cares. The counselor is crushing you.
0: You just have to eat it, nerds. The quants hate watch him. Nerds.
1: Lions don't concern themselves with the opinions of sheep. You're a lion now. You used to be a sheep and now you're a lion. But he's he's calling
0: everyone but his followers sheep. It's just so perfect. It's so perfect. He's perfect.
1: This is a shopping cart podcast now.
0: Your RB1 is Devin Singletary. If you must execute a pure zero rb strategy which is why the counselor and i would never do that you're a lion now you used to be a sheep and now you're a lion because he is gross he's an asshole
1: he can't even drink a full beer would he break the ego score metric on player
0: profiler everyone wants to play in the other bay with tom brady and that matters aaron so I think you need to
1: update your slogan that you have on a throw pillow that says, I don't hate players, I hate ADPs, asterisk, dot, 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 unless that player is Aaron Rodgers, in which case I hate him and I don't mind his ADP.
0: Yeah, I actually don't mind his ADP, I just
1: don't like him as a person, he fucking sucks. You know what I said, hold my beer guys, hold my beer, because uh, yeah, I haven't found much organic growth on TikTok.
0: Most people don't know what the fucking Scott Fishbowl is and they don't care. They've been adjusted constantly. Mike Gusecki throwing a football over a condo, running through the garage, and then catching his own pass.
1: This is a shopping cart podcast now.
0: You're getting really good at this whole fantasy football thing, Peter. I think you have a career beyond comedy.
1: (laughs) Well, good thing because I'm a former comedian, right?
0: Demarius Thomas with redlocks. That's what he looks like. That's what he looks like to me. That's what he looks like. He doesn't look like Patrick Laird, though. I'll tell you that right now. You're a lion now. You used to be a sheep, and now you're a lion. It's all about DJ Chuck. Why would those splits mean a goddamn thing if Hayden Hurst is now being selected before Austin Hooper in fantasy drafts?
1: I just imagine you meeting Calvin Ridley, and the first thing you say is, hey, man, I don't hate players. I hate ADPs, and then seeing how that goes over
0: you're on the swole cast now
1: you don't learn anything about DFS on the swole cast you
0: took Silva's spot
1: yeah I mean he was kind of dragging down the show
0: yeah yeah do you have a plan to be good at DFS this year a lot of players coming down with COVID I don't know I'm getting nervous one of the
1: prompts is you must draft Patrick Laird right now
0: he's on record saying he might threaten
1: if I went to high school with people who played college sports at with Austin Eckler, that's all you need to know about the school.
0: And to have a two tight end set,
1: you need two tight ends, not one.
0: Fuck you.
1: Are you saying fuck you to me? I think I was the one who brought up those splits.
0: Fuck you. Let's go. Those are probably failed picks anyway. Not because you drafted him because of the round, but...
1: <laughs> Uh-oh, he's snorting so pissed patrick laird one percentile ego score
0: miami dolphins fan because of patrick laird fins up because you decorated a cake with his face on it let's go just feel based analysis man using my gut learn it
1: from the best no you were drafting off of the fantasy football counselor's high testosterone draft guide you took six running backs in the first eight rounds Shane
0: Battier's a dork! I'm sure Patrick Laird applied to Duke.
1: It is a charity league, and you just really took that to heart.
0: I know! I know! I blew it! I blew it! I could have had Wentz, Brady, and Breeze in round three, four, five. I fucked up, man. The point I was trying to finish... <laughs>
1: yeah, anyways... You get it? Uh, Yeah, because a a shark is a fish, yeah.
0: See, a shark's a fish. See that?
1: But not all fish are sharks. You don't learn anything about DFS on the Swolecast.